gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Shark Brain, the podcast about creativity in the 21st century. I am your host, Jake Newton. Thank you for tuning in, for clicking on the button, for coming over my way and seeing what I got to show you with my head, my brain, and all that fun stuff. This week is the second installment of David Hodges' interview. David Hodges' interview. Oh, man, English is a first language and I still don't have a really good sense of it. Anyway, I digress. This is starting to get into the meat and potatoes of the interviews, the deep cuts, the the interesting uh, pontification that goes on with this uh, particular half of the interview. For those of you who haven't heard the first half, go back and listen to that because we'll dovetail right into this one. I just listened to the whole thing, did a couple edits to get a sense of uh, what the thing was because, to be honest, I don't really quite remember a lot of it. But uh, we do get uh, quite into creativity as a force, the ineffable level of cool that becomes a bit of a false idol when it pertains to making art. All kinds of fun stuff. Want to get into that thoroughly? Going to jump deep, deep into that. So get ready for a, a hayride of pontification. That's what uh, what I could call it, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a little too arty there. But really, uh, how you doing? We don't we don't talk throughout the week. You, you come and you click on me and... and uh, and we converse a little bit. You let me talk for a while and you listen, but we don't really talk. How are you doing? I want to hear from you people out there in the trenches trying to cull stuff up out of the oysters of your brain, your brain oysters. Let's talk. A lot of good things are going on. Summer's coming. It's 90 degrees here in Los Angeles. I don't want to rub this in to people who in other parts of the country who may or may not be still chipping ice off of their cars, but... You guys, we pay a lot of rent out here, and there's earthquakes, and a lot more crime, but it was 90 degrees. I was wearing a long sleeve shirt, and I was overdressed, and it was March, and it was fabulous. Went to a farmer's market, and it looked like what it probably looks like being on the inside of a cornucopia or something like that. It was, it was insane, just fruit and vegetables everywhere. Winter is over. It is done, at least here. I, I can't speak for other parts of the country. And now I'm really definitely lording it over people, and I feel bad about that. I'm not normally a summer guy. That's not my vibe. I'm, uh, I'm uh, Fall, if it could be fall all the time, I probably wouldn't argue very much, because if you think about it, you got a lot of holidays to look forward to, and um, uh, let's face it, I like it when I can accessorize. A, a lot of what I wear, let's face it, is meant to be a megaphone for who I am as a person. Kind of says, oh no, don't worry about it. I get it. Yes, yes. Life is hard. Uh, we have enormous difficulties in the Middle East and that sort of a thing. But I've heard most of pavements work. So I, I, I understand it. Don't worry. I'm a thinking individual. My head's on straight. I'm good. I'm good. We talk about this kind of spirit that leads people down these primrose paths of hyper-specificity and, and genre and, and all that stuff. In the interview with David, who is a sharp cookie... You know, he's not just a pretty face that writes songs that make people cry and dole out their money. He's a smart egg. He's actually working on a novel. We'll talk about that in the very end of it. But let's uh, let's get around to me. Let's talk about what's going on with me. After maybe even listening to David's uh, interview from last week and hanging out with him more, hanging out with other pop writers more, I've been listening to pop music. And this is the kicker of the whole shebang, guys. I like pop music. I I thought it was a, I thought that it was a cardinal sin or at least a guilty pleasure. For me, the only 
the only music growing up that was uh, actually anywhere near me was a punk bands that would come through. So this is just this is this is mind altering to me. And the hard thing that I have even now, even still, is worrying about what the cool kids are gonna think. It's the truth. I have to be plain and honest with you guys. Can anyone else sympathize with this? Anyone else have a record that they honestly can say that they truly love? But the fact of the matter that it's popular or that it uh, it may be a little more buoyant and jovial than the other stuff that's dour on your iPod. This is, okay, first and foremost, guys, let me create the argument by saying I love all things sad. It is my jam. It is, it is my wheelhouse. Mark Kozalik is the patron saint of my heart. You get me? Okay, right? That being said, there is an entire wing of myself that has never really taken to heart a summer jam or believed it to be worth my time. It's embarrassing to know the words to, I don't know, I can't really name a summer jam. I'm not going to play that game, say what's vapid and what's not and what's this and what's that. The point being of all this pontification that I am laying upon you people right now is that good music is good music. And that's something that I've been realizing more than ever this week. Good music is good music is good music. We can argue all we want to about real drums versus fake, about shoddy production, about just differing ethoses. A difference in ethos? Come on, Jake. Let's get it together, man. You have a podcast. That's like a radio show. That means you're responsible for talking. Get it together, man. Anyway, so it's opened up just bins and bins of records in my head and, and on Spotify and in iTunes and in the actual record store. Good music is good music. I'm not saying that uh, the idea of the genre is gone or that there everything should meld together. There are specific things that come from specific areas of music, but man, I definitely had cut myself off from something. I don't know if anybody else can sympathize with this. Maybe just me and and punk kids and kids that listen to emo and grindcore and all those things, but there was something about the music that you listened to that defined who you were as a person. Like The fact that I listened to uh, emo and, and hardcore in later years of high school meant that I hung out with a certain group of people, meant that I thought a certain way about certain things, meant that I rejected certain other things about other genres of music. It's, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not going to create a Sharks versus Jets kind of a thing about this, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I'm not treading any new ground saying that. But the fact of the matter is, is that now we there's just so much good stuff from all over the place. And, and part of this might be being a 32-year-old guy that is finally, <laughs> uh, and there is a concern about that and lingering in the back of my mind going like, well, I've just gotten to the place where I'm just, if it's if it's if the effort's been made, then I've got to appreciate it because I'm tired. Um, I hope it's not that. I think perhaps maybe it's just that um, I'm older and wiser. Right? Right? Back me up on this. Send me your emails, guys. I keep them coming. I'm going to start uh, reading them on the air, so uh, make sure they're well punctuated. Otherwise, I won't read it right. It's the fact of the matter. Also, I want to put a couple of you to task. 
couple of you, whoever you want to be. I'm looking for new literature. I want to read more books, and I've uh, burned through all the ones that I've gotten. I don't really know where to go next. That doesn't mean that I've gone through all the books that are on my shelf right now. It just means that uh, I'm a consumer and I want to buy something, and maybe the excitement of buying it will get me to read past the first third of it. Who knows? So, your literary recommendations, your musical recommendations, now that I'm no longer such a stuffy jerk about what's cool and what's not, lay them all on me. I'm looking for good music, inspirational music. Where's the record, you ask? What's happening with it? Writing, writing, writing. I'm writing a lot. I'm actually working a lot on my production skills, personally, to get an idea of what is possible. I spent the entirety of my Friday going through keyboard sounds. All day. All day, sitting in front of the Pro Tools rig, going through keyboard sounds. There's an infinite ocean of possibility. All at my fingertips. Now I have to figure out which one says the most about me. Right down to my soul, right? Wrong. No. Just make it. (sighs) Well, I really think you guys are going to dig the second half of this interview. We get a bit metaphysical all throughout. We talk about the butterfly effect and the the tacit string of fortune that got Evanescence from obscurity to selling 16 million records. We talk about writing songs as a craftsman, as a journeyman, to put food on the table for your family versus merely for fulfillment. We talk about the looming specter of cool that falls over us when we're in our teens and keeps a hold of us, some some people for the rest of their lives, but usually lets up uh, around 2025. So without further ado, let me take you to the second part of this David Hodges interview on The One and the Only Shark Brain. You gotta yeah, go. We talk till two in the morning. I'll okay. give it to you. Hi. All right. Um, I started this process because of this man. To be able to actually to figure out what's going on with people. For because for me, I mean, I, my twenties just being lost. I mean, yeah. I, I when I quit college, I was doing. Um, I, I quit to go and, and be an actor. Oh right. I was I was done. You know, I, I was like, I think I'm good on this. You know, I I, I played. I I did. Um, you know, coffee shops playing music and stuff like that. But music was really my dad's thing. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad was a, a studio musician for RCA and like a bunch of other people no in the seventies. You know, played. He they, he was the guy that they called for acoustic guitar. You know, kind of a thing. Wow. And so I had that. Uh, music's my dad's thing, and uh, and I'm 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 an actor. I'm gonna you know emote and feel. And you have such raw talent in that space. That's that's shocking to me. Hmm. But it, but. You can't see it. I can mm-hmm. see it. Like, that's the whole point of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you're the things that you're just really, really good at. Mm-hmm. The world around you probably sees really well, and you're mm-hmm. like, eh. Yeah, and that's the frustrating thing is that you kind of you, you, you see these proclivities, and you go like, no, I want to try something that's really hard. And you're like, well, it's not hard for you to be okay at it. It's really hard for you to be really good at yeah. it. You're just trying to like you know differentiate and do like that launch thing, you know. And I'm shocked by just even talking to people about instruments. Like to be okay at piano is like all right. Mm-hmm. I think to be okay at violin or clarinet is probably harder mm-hmm. 
but to be great at any any instrument, really any field. I'm not saying it takes the exact amount of time, but it takes a pretty approximate amount of time, which is too much. Yeah, that Malcolm Gladwell thing is a bit of a berm from which to kind of like clear. And know? that's the uh, to me that's the beauty of ten thousand hours. Uh-huh. You are only alive for a certain number, mm. and if you're going to devote ten thousand hours to something, mm. you won't devote it to be good at something. You'll only devote it because you love it. I was tell yeah. I had, I was in the songwriting seminar a couple of days ago, and I was telling these guys like when Ben and I were. The, living at that house on on Green Mountain or that apartment on Green Mountain, <clears throat> we weren't staying up until four in the morning because one day we thought we would have big houses. Yeah, we were doing it because I couldn't go to sleep because I had to. I had to be able to hear the music that was in my head. You couldn't not. I had to chase the thing down, man. I really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those who like want to be successful or want to be good at something, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. No, maybe for some people it is, but for me it wasn't enough. There's no, like that's you weren't born and grazed a poor black child in the middle of Compton. <laughs> I mean, like you're not trying to like you know get out of the game mm-hmm. and like you know jump into something else. It's not about avarice. It's not about greed. It's not about anything. Else. It's you know, and honestly, to to chase this thing down, it's got to be for the love of it. I mean, it's yeah. the same thing that drives people to you know, not to put it on a similar par, but I mean, like they, they, that drives people to become you know doctors without borders. In a, yeah. in a certain ways, you know. There's just as many because you are a success story, man. And uh, of yeah. course, you know, you, you get the wherewithal to understand that. But like, there's just as many people, you know, that are pursuing, uh, albeit, you know, maybe they're, you know, toiling in the wrong, in the wrong field. Because, you know, maybe they're doing jazz. Bunch of assholes. <laughs> Seriously. You could be great. You'll never get paid. I want to be a linguist. That's great. What do you want to study? Latin. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what jazz is to me. It's just yeah. kind of like, you know what I want to do? What's that? I'll learn a dead language that only rich white people like. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Only played by old black people and hey, listened to by rich white people. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds a bit like the plot to, blo- to Gone with the Wind. I'm not sure if that's the same thing. I feel like this story has been told. It really does. It really does. Is Craig Gable going to come in at any moment with a nice mustache? <laughs> if not, then I'm not interested. Then I'm out. <laughs> so... You, yeah. So you guys got the deal, and you're living in the Oakwoods, and you're like living off $150 a, um, a week. A week, yeah, rough. And r- super, super rough town. And then, did you guys ever tour? No. No? No. I was, uh, I think Amy and Ben probably played two, maybe more, than, uh, less than five shows before me. Mm-hmm. And together we played five or six shows. And the, the shows were only... Us going back to Little Rock to play at the local venue because we were the, even at the time, we were like kind of a local success story because we had gotten a record deal and moved out to LA. Yeah. So we'd go home and play in front of 400 of our friends. Yeah. But I remember we played, uh, we played, this place called Juanita's, um, and it was like, I think we were halfway through making our album. So it was actually happening by this point. Mm -hmm. All of our friends back home who were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You live in LA, whatever. You're never gonna make an album. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's happening right now. I promise. We're doing it. We, we went home and we played a show because we had zero dollars. Mm-hmm. A couple of friends of ours played. I think actually, I think a friend of ours played drums, and we didn't have a bass player for the show or something ridiculous like that. So that left hand was going crazy. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was good. And we did the show at Juanita's, and we walked off stage, and like to walk off stage is to walk outside. Actually. <laughs> And so we're standing outside, and people inside are still clapping. It's like, if we're going to do the encore, we got to go back in right now. 
And Amy was like, they'll keep clapping. And I was like, no, they won't. Like, <laughs> we're nobody. It's like, yeah. they're not going to keep... This isn't like you 2 playing the Staples mm-hmm. Center. Like, we've got to go back in right now. Mm-hmm. And I remember running back inside, not like so I could be the first person on stage, just so they wouldn't stop clapping and it wouldn't be awkward because would be like, hey, you guys want to hear another song? <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't go anywhere. Hey, come on. And I remember... Ben and Amy both making fun of me for it. They were like, could you not let the encore... Why can't, Why are you going to run back on stage? Mm-hmm. Let the encore be what it is. Like, they wouldn't have kept clapping, <laughs> I promise you. But so we only did, yeah, a handful of shows. And it was mainly just like because our computer died and we had to buy a new computer. Just some yeah. random things like that. So there yeah. was never any sense of touring at all with us. And also, this is funny... We got a record deal with Wind Up Records. This is a this is a valuable enough story. So, we made this album in our apartment, mm-hmm. and at the end of making this album, we thought that it should get mastered. Huh. We didn't really know what that meant, but we know that when we looked on the back of a Soundgarden record, it said "Mastered by," and so we're like, mm-hmm. "I guess we should get this thing mastered." Yeah. So we sh- so we called a couple of studios, and there was a place in Memphis, Tennessee, called Ardent Studios. And we, w- and we were going to go to Memphis, which is another big city. We were really excited about it. And I remember us packing up our keyboard and our computer and mm. all of our gear. Yeah. Because, again, I didn't know what mastering was. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and we drove it all to Memphis. And we get to Arden Studios, and we meet a guy named Brad Blackwood. And he was like, so you guys are here to master the record? And we're like, yeah. And he's and we're like, do we need, where do we need to set up our stuff? He's, like, he's like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> We're like, you know, our our gear, our computer, like that has all the music on it. And he was like, Do you have like a CD of it? Like, like, yeah, we got a CD. Yeah. But like, do you need all this other stuff? <laughs> it's like, he was like, Man, just give me the CD and come back in a couple hours. We're like, oh, okay. man. Yeah. And he was great. Yeah, we were, I, I mean, we had no idea what mastering actually was. Mm. All we knew is like, we we're going to pay this guy a thousand bucks and then we were going to have a master record. And so yeah. and to have a non mastered record is to be idiot kids working in their apartment. To have a mastered record is like, Oh, yeah, Valhalla. We're in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You nailed it's it. It's happening. Mm-hmm. So we go to lunch, we come back, we get our mastered record, and we go home. Uh, everything in our world is essentially the same. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time listening to the mastered album, and I was mm-hmm. like, Ben, what did we spend $1,000 <laughs> on? What is this? So this is a very important part of the story because I've talked to almost every artist that I've worked with. I'm fascinated by this piece of the story. Because unless they were on American Idol, and no slight to American Idol, but this part of the story is fascinating. So incredibly ridiculous and fascinating that it becomes mundane Mm -hmm. because of how common it happens. The story of like how you were found, how you were discovered with American Idol is a little bit boring just because it's like a rote experience. Although to win American Idol is no matter how talented you are, Mm -hmm. the craziest thing in the world. But for everyone outside of that specific experience, Everyone has a story. Everyone that I've ever worked with has a story equally as weird as this. And this is our story. We get our record mastered at Arden Studios. And Brad Blackwood is in a small room mastering the record that doesn't have good ventilation. Mm -hmm. So he keeps the door open. And in Studio A at Arden Studios is a band called Dust for Life. And they're making a record there. And they're signed to Wind Up Records. And they're making a record there probably because Three Doors Down made a record there a couple of years before. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if you can make Kryptonite at Arden Studios, then why can't you make another another record? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So so Dust for Life is in Studio A. 
and Dust for Life, you say, who's that band? That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The lead singer of the band had had a couple of bottles of water that morning. 11.39, he needed to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for us, uh, the mastering room was in between Studio A and the bathroom. And fortunately for us, Brad Blackwood wanted to keep the door open. And fortunately, mm-hmm. while Gavin was walking to the bathroom, music was playing. And fortunately, the music that was playing in that second and a half that he walked by the door was enough to catch his attention. Not enough to change anyone's life, but enough for him to stop mm-hmm. and listen a little bit longer. And then the music stops, and he leans into Brad, and he said, Hey, who's this? And he said, I don't know. There's some kids from Little Rock making a record. And he was like, yeah. huh. And he goes to the bathroom, and the music keeps playing, and he comes back around, and he listens again. And he's like, can I get a copy of this when you're done? Hmm. And Brad's like, sure, that'd be great. Yeah. And, and then Gavin goes back to his studio. Yeah. We come back. We get our mastered record. He doesn't say anything about it. No one's life has changed. It's no big deal. Gavin gets the CD, and he really likes it. And... And he plays it for the other guys in the band, and he and the guitar player show it to their head of A&R at Wind Up Records, and we end up getting a record deal three or four months later. Wow. And so my entire trajectory as a musician is contingent upon Gavin's bladder. That's terrifying. It's the butterfly effect, man. It's it's the scariest story of all time Mm -hmm. if you're spending all your time waiting for Gavin's bladder. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think the trick of it is that everyone has Gavin's bladder. Everyone has Mm -hmm. a handful of these moments. And if you live in Little Rock, Arkansas, you may only have three or four or five of these. Mm -hmm. If you live in L.A., you probably have a lot more of them. Yeah. No, they, they, they come at you all the time. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like... It's not like one play. It's not like the world is completely flat. Mm. But but what I'm pretty convinced of is that those opportunities exi- exist. Mm-hmm. Now, if the music hadn't been very good, if the door had been closed, if he had hit pause on the record while Gavin walked by, if if any of the fifty ifs that existed in that scenario had been different, then I would have never known about that experience. Mm-hmm. It's not like that time came and it went. Yeah, it's not like the Aaron R guy came to our sh- flew in town and came to our show and then left. Mm. It's like that moment happened and I never would have known about yeah. it. But every, I'm telling you, man, all of them, every artist that I know has some equally freakish story, mm-hmm. and it and it's made me instead of making me anxious, it really does make me peaceful to realize like, oh, it'll just happen. No, it will. You're exactly right, and I think that like it, what we do as far as you know, quote unquote, putting our nose to the grindstone, mm-hmm. give, having that weird kind of uh, almost, you know, post Catholic, still kind of Irish guilt of like, <laughs> you know, we must work and earn our breath on this earth. Right, right, thing, right. Is that, you know, every day we wake up and we write a song, every day we sit in front of the piano, every day we go out and say, like, and people ask, how's it going? Oh, it's pretty good. Let me send you an MP3. Any number of those things is us buying a lotto ticket. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's you know like every day, every time we sit in front of the piano and go like, "What is this melody?" You know, like right. like, do, like like let me rend this out of you know a big bit of granite that is my brain, you know, and then to to yeah. to call that to something good. So, what I'm interested, um, actually, this is one thing I was thinking about on the way over here, is to go from 2003, mm-hmm. you know, from Evanescence and all that stuff to you kind of going like. You guys are going in a different direction that I want to go in, all that stuff. Right. When you get to that moment, how do you get from there to going out on your own and writing songs? That is important. I want to talk about that. 
little just a little piece before that uh Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours mm. Gavin's bladder all of that stuff yeah i am not deserved any amount of success i have not earned anything I think when musicians have the impression that it's like, okay, I've done the work. Now, where's the success? Gimme. That's not how it works. It is a lottery ticket. Yeah. And I, I was sitting next to a buddy of mine at uh, BMI has these awards every year in May. And and it's funny because I have, a, I have a handful of friends that I see usually only two or three times a year. And, and we see each other at these things. Some years they're wildly successful and awarded for things and I'm not. And sometimes it's the other way around or whatever else. We mm-hmm. all kind of laugh about it. Cause it's like, I keep writing the same songs, but you know, sometimes people like it. Sometimes <laughs> they like they don't. Know, yeah. But my buddy, uh, my buddy Brian was saying, we were sitting at the table together and he said, uh, I said, what have you been up to this last year? I haven't seen much of you. And he's like, man, I've been producing like crazy and I haven't written many songs at all. And and he and I are flip flops. I write probably seventy five percent of the time and produce about twenty five, and he write or he writes about twenty five, and produces about seventy five. Mm-hmm. But he said, "Man, what I realize now is maybe not every song that I write is successful, but every time I write a song, it has the chance of being successful." Yeah. So it's like I w- <clears throat> Nashville, I think, goes a little bit overboard on this model, but I want to buy as many lottery tickets as I can. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean again like the Nashville thing that I want to buy. 200 lottery tickets a year like mm-hmm. i don't want to write so much that i'm just writing for the sake of writing mm-hmm. but every day that i'm not writing i'm not gonna have a hit song that day that is true so so there is i i am a firm believer in both quality and quantity there's mm-hmm. a sense of both sides of that that it's like i didn't know that a thousand years was going to be successful i didn't know that and a thousand years is a huge. Ex- what is that? It's like six time? Five? Yeah, it's now six million out al- or six That's... million downloads. It's actually much more successful than any other actual song that I've ever had. And that is in the cultural diaspora of like you know people getting hyper specific what they do. The fact that that many people like that fucking song in two in twenty fourteen. It's incredible. It's dude. crazy. And as one who can say it without being disparaging, it's a. I love that song. It's a great song, dude. But I don't think it's a great. I think it's a good song. Yeah. Like, but it's not like a. It's not Paul McCartney writing yesterday. Like mm-hmm. it's. A, I really. I love Christina Perry, and I love that mm-hmm. song, and I am really proud of it. But it didn't change the rules of music. It's mm-hmm. not OK Computer. It's not mm-hmm. the Dark Side of the Moon. You know, it. it the, if I had written a song that changed the rules of how people thought about music, then mm-hmm. I'd be like, six million, bring it on. Yeah. But to use the same chords that we've all used and mm-hmm. to use the same meter and the same melodies just reminds me again that it's not about that. You know? Here's the kicker of the whole shebang. I don't think that uh, Roger Daltrey or any other of these guys has actually reached certain numbers with some of the stuff that you've actually done. <laughs> that's that's, we- that's that con- the weirdest that's thing. That confuses my brain. Oh, absolutely. You're going to go like, like, listen... I really like this Alt-J record, but ain't nobody ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, like, yes, there are certain people you can say, like, oh, well, Miley Cyrus did it for interstitial stuff between this tour. And you go, like, yeah, Miley Cyrus has heard of it. And <laughs> and a bunch of people, she subjected a bunch of people to it. Right. But it doesn't mean that, like... It's not the same, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, all, you know, the people aren't clamoring for this kind of thing. So it's... Yeah. It's really wild, man. I, I think that... I, I think that we're... We're filtering everything that comes through us yeah. at all times. And to be able to take this stuff and to synthesize it and to put it through our brains. And we there's a special time between 9 and 15. 
And yeah. that's kind of like you, the music you listen to then. I mean, you're not going to stray too far from that. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's that's eternally weird to me. It's And the, the weirdest part to me is people who don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, man. Mm-hmm. I don't care how old I was. Rock and roll from the seventies was the best. Like, it's like because you're fifty two, you dummy. You like dillweed. This is the most obvious story mm-hmm. ever. Like, yeah, I love nineties rock bands. Mm-hmm. Are they? Is that the best era of music? Mm-hmm. For me, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh, all yeah. that matters. Like, absolutely. If I hear anything that like sounds remotely, you know, uh, yeah, Dulcinea or any of those records, you know, it crushes my heart and soul. Yeah. If it's if it's a, a McLaughlin esque. You yeah. know, track. Oh gosh, you know. Yeah. I don't care how many puppies are crying. I'm crying too. <laughs> <laughs> and our kids don't care about it at all. Yeah, no. And I, and it just resonates in me this sense that uh, I've had the unique privilege of writing some songs with uh, Rivers Cuomo mm-hmm. for for the new Weezer record. Oh, that had to bend your brain around two times. Yeah, exactly. And. Uh, I have such stark memories of my uh, middle school years uh, going to parties, trying desperately, desperately to have a conversation with the pretty girl with the wild ex- uh, 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 expectation of maybe sneaking around to the side of Trip Robinson's house and Ashley Faust kissing me on the mouth, which it never happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I remember in those seasons of my life mm-hmm. listening to, and this is a little bit weird in Little Rock, Arkansas, but we listened, the music that played during that time was Warren G mm-hmm. and Weezer. <laughs> and it would go back and forth between mm-hmm. Warren G and Nate Dogg and Weezer, mm-hmm. which is a little bit weird because I think I only know Regulator. So it mm-hmm. was like Regulator <laughs> Jonas, Regulator. <laughs> like it's it would go, song, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it would just kind of keep on going between that one song and, and the rest of the Weezer record. But uh, but I told Rivers uh, in this chase for, and not many bands have even the option of this, but mm-hmm. in this chase of t- trying to reclaim like what the the former glory or this whatever the shrine was to these early albums you're fighting against nostalgia yeah there's no music that's come out in the last five no music from any band from any of the seven billion people on the planet that's come out in the last five years that made me feel what say it ain't so made me feel at trip robinson's party like it's it's impossible those things Mm -hmm. won't happen so fighting against nostalgia is impossible well, don't forget also that you're dealing with brain chemistry. Your right. prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. Yeah, it's for it's part it's of the forming of at that, the yeah. moment. That's why Romeo and Juliet exists. Is because yeah. Shakespeare had the brilliance to realize, like, you know what? These two kids who are fourteen and fifteen are crazy enough to kill themselves <laughs> over a crush. <laughs> Assholes, you know. And then you or, re- and then you realize. That nothing in all of your entire life is ever more important than that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. while it's so fleeting and stupid, mm-hmm. it's also why we go to yeah. war. Like, yeah. it really exactly. is, it becomes you know, the importance of The Helen of, of Troy yeah. for everything. Yeah. And then we realize, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You, know, we, you know, let's be fair and honest. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> we have coalescing ideas on child rearing. <laughs> yeah. But at the, at the end of everything, like, it, it's all justification towards, you know, the means. And this is the... The the great privilege of ever having something successful. I have plaques on the wall mm-hmm. because I grew up with these images of plaque. I'm like record plaques barely exist anymore. Mm-hmm. 
it really is kind of an ancient artifact. They're a rare bird. And it's only sad to me because I think it's valuable for us to monetize what we've done. Mm-hmm. The money will come and go. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is why I have real issue with uh, some sects of music, specifically hip-hop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, don't flash your money at me. That's cheap. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's valuable to show, like, hey, this this Adele record made it to 30 million people in the world. Mm-hmm. That doesn't feel cheap to me. And maybe to some it's the same thing. But it doesn't feel the same to me. Like, I don't want to see your Lamborghini, but I would love to see a plaque on mm-hmm. Greg Wells' wall that says, hey, this album made it to 30 million mm-hmm. people. Good for you, my friend. Yeah. That's amazing. But there's this, the the most shocking, there's two pieces of my job mm. that will continue to astound me. So I, I got to write a song with Glenn Phillips a few yeah. years ago. I'm a, I'm a decent songwriter. And we ho- happen to live close to each other, but that's not what we wrote together. We wrote together because the Evanescence record sold 18 mm. million units. And I don't mean that, I really don't mean in a cheap way. I mean, like, it just allows you access to get someone's email address. Like, yeah. it allows you in this club of, and, and maybe it seems a little country clubbish, but it's like any success has allowed me the ability to, like, rub elbows with people that i think are legends Mm -hmm. you know and not for the sake of i remember as a kid the whole concept of like getting an autograph from someone seemed weird and confusing to me like i don't want sting's autograph Mm -hmm. i want to sit at dinner with him yeah and and not to the point that i feel like i deserve to sit at dinner with him but an autograph doesn't mean anything to Mm -hmm. me but a dinner would change my life and I'll wait till the second. Like, I don't need the autograph to satiate something in between. Mm-hmm. So so the two beautiful things that any kind of success has provided me is the ability to meet some folks along the way and to be peers with them. Not Again, not that my art is on par with theirs, but we're in the same league. We're in the mm-hmm. same sphere of each other. And I think that that's amazing. And honestly, the funny thing is, to me, it's amazing... It's equally as amazing to meet Glenn Phillips as it is to meet Trent Reznor as it is to meet Nicole Nordeman, this Christian artist that I completely adore. So it isn't about like, mm-hmm. can I hang out with Bono and Paul McCartney? It's like, can I hang out with the people that inspired my ability to do the thing that I do? Yeah, That's awesome. And the second piece, like we were talking about, is that Evanescence record is Dual Sinead to someone. That's their now. That's crazy. That def- artists that I love, mm-hmm. their art is informed by the art that I made. That's weird. That's weird, yeah, right, man? That's, that's, I can't wrap my head around that at oh, all. Oh man! Can you and then the artists that you love, and then it, it just feeds upon itself, and then they probably want to come in and write with you, and you kind of go like, "Why? Oh, <laughs> I want to write with you." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <sighs> oh man. Yeah, that's and that's, um, like I have a lot of like you and I live in a community of friends that are artists and musicians, mm-hmm. and I. I mean, Steve is the perfect example of this to yeah. me. I, Steve is so much better than I am at so many things. Mm-hmm. I've been afforded afforded success. I, I'm i not bad at my job. I don't think that I've fallen into good luck. I think I work hard and I think I'm good at things. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I know a lot of people that are really good at things and work really hard at what they do. The The unnatural amount of success that I've been afforded has allowed me things like that and that is different than a, than a lot of the community of musicians that we live around. Mm-hmm. And that's some trippy shit. Like, that's some stuff mm-hmm. that's really hard to wrap your head around. Because I know that Steve wrote a song called Run Run that 
informs the way that I write music. Mm-hmm. And we're buddies, so he, so it doesn't have the impact on him that that the impact of me meeting someone who I've never met before who listened to an Evanescence record. Yeah. But it's the same type of animal. Mm-hmm. But when you come up to someone that you've never met before and they're like, that record changed the way that I see the world, you're like, oh my God. Oh, uh, now, now do I have to say mystical things? Yeah, like- that's that's when it gets really crazy. But that's exactly what music was to mm-hmm. you when you were a teenager, what it was mm-hmm. to me. And that's the reason why we're in this business mm-hmm. is because of those those moments. But... And that's why when I when Glenn Phillips and I met and we wrote together, I remember at the time I wasn't. It wasn't a downer, but he was just so, he was so human. Actually, one of my, one of my really close friends now is Emerson Hart. Yeah. From Tonic, and I'm telling you, man, head on straight. That record just to this day completely wrecks mm-hmm. me. And I, I will stand by the fact that I think it's brilliant. But beyond that, I met my wife during that season. Yeah. And I woke up every day to those songs, and that was like a really formative part of who I am. Well, Emerson is such a fucking romantic, man. He just really is. I remember... Like, he gets me. Oh, he, he, I, this is a funny story. The About 16 years old. Right. 16 and three months, I, had, uh, I, I was on my way down to the county fair to watch Tonic play. Oh, nice. I was, I, was th- I was so enthused. I was going to pick up my girlfriend, do the whole thing, got in a car wreck, and, and I you know, totaled my $500 car, which is not hard to do, but, but I still. thoroughly totaled it. <laughs> I mean, like, like incredibly. Nice. And then my only concern, as soon as the car hit me, my one thought was like, am I going to be able to go see Tonic tonight? <laughs> not and the I, car, not your safety, not the girl. And I remember, like, I remember, like, after seeing Tonic, like a bunch of people coming up to me at, at the Ferris wheel afterwards, and then going, like, "Are you okay?" And we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm fine, man. They played all the songs I wanted to hear." <laughs> Wait, was this before Sugar came? Out? Was this just for the first record? This is Lemon, Lemon Parade. Parade. Yeah, yeah, Lemon Parade. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was, I was so hooked, man. I love those guys, man. And then I got into emo, and then I was, you know, totally, right. totally yeah, wrecked okay. for anything that would make any money doing music, you know? <laughs> just listening to the promise ring, and like... Oh, well, you the, listened to all the wrong bands. I really did. Money. I was like, going like, you know, why can we understand all the words? This is terrible. That's what my view of... <laughs> well, dude, I want to thank you for coming in and doing the Shark Brain thing, man. I, uh, I love the... Like, I love the... The process of it. I, I'm surprised by how in the way the music industry has evolved that it's st- we're still chasing the same thing mm-hmm. i i do think there was a season in successful like rate terrestrial radio music that you had to sound like a certain thing mm. i will not deny that and it was a for me a really hard season to survive and 2007 to 2011-ish. Yeah. That everything on the radio sounded the same. Mm-hmm. But for anyone who says to me now, like, man, every when I listen to the radio, it all sounds the same. Bullshit. It yeah. doesn't sound the same. You listen to Bastille, and then you listen to Rye, and then you listen to any of these, and you go like, no, you have to be good. So yeah. if you're going to give me that bullshit, right. be awesome. Yeah. And I do think that there are certain... Uh, approaches to music that it maybe no I don't I don't buy any of it actually anymore mm-hmm. Gautier yeah I mean how could that be a number one song in the world it took, except for the fact it, that it was yeah it took two minutes to get to the chorus 
And he did, he did it, and he crushed. And everyone was like, going like, this sounds like Peter Gabriel, but better, and I feel like I, I, feel like I want to grab it. And I'm alive, and I'm alive. I, I was in the car. I was uh, uh, randomly enough riding with, with uh, Natasha Bedingfield one day, and we were driving in the car, and the verse of somebody that I used to know came on. And it was right in the season where it was like that song was really taking off. I was like, man, this song, it just kills me. It's undeniable. And she was like, what is this song? Nick, wait for it. I was like, no, no, no. This is somebody that I used to know. And she was like, wait, really? And the chorus hit and she was like, oh, yeah, I love this song. And then it went back into the second verse. And she was like, you know what? I've never heard these verses before. And it sounds like somebody's riding a camel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I thought and I, then I listened it was like somebody's riding a camel <laughs> and it I mean uh, Foster the People have done it and and I think Imagine Dragons have done it and Lord and there are so many great examples in the last three years yeah. but Gautier is the perfect example of if you sing a chorus like you believe it yeah and, and it's great mm-hmm. I am in mm-hmm. I am in and his vocal work is the equivalent of the saxophone solo from In the Heat of the Night <laughs> it's exactly the same thing and I love it for that you know I mean it's just it, it's this reminds me of the mid 90s mm-hmm. when it's like presidents of the United States earnestness can you you can be number one song mm. in and have US. three strings on your guitar yeah mm-hmm it's amazing. I mean, and I, I honestly think, and this is naive of me, but I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. No, I don't because, think it should. Because social media makes it different now than it was before. I mm-hmm. think there's something about how something becomes popular today is less contrived than it has ever been before. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different ways that it can creep up on you. Some, who was it? Somebody told me the other day. Oh, uh, an EDM artist told me the other day that Lord, what Lord crept up through SoundCloud. Hmm. I had no idea. Really? But SoundCloud, SoundCloud, SoundCloud. Like as if that's the, even a thing. Mm-hmm. That was the way that Royals became popular. I remember hearing it on the radio nine months before it was number one, the number one song in the country, mm-hmm. and being like, hmm. And I don't say this like I'm some Svengali. I, mm. for the record, I heard Coldplay "Yellow." And I was like, Nah, don't buy it. <laughs> oh well, good. God bless these guys. Yeah. Hope they do well. And the sad thing to me is, not only do I love Coldplay, but I love "Yellow." Like, mm-hmm. I, so it's not like I have some genius ears, but I do remember the first time I heard "Royals," and I was like, "All right, that's an interesting way mm-hmm. to look at the whole thing," but. But I months and months and months before that, it was a SoundCloud thing. So it's not like SoundCloud is the newest version of MySpace. That's mm-hmm. that's a not a fair representation. What it is is like SoundCloud is now one of the forty different avenues yeah. that you can get to an audience. And there's that slow eighteen month ish burn, you know, plus or minus mm-hmm. a year, yeah. you know, that that things seem to happen. I mean, the the Bonnie Bear record happened mm-hmm. that way. You know, it's sort of like roiled into things. I think that. Yeah. At some point, you know, like from what they say, is that they just sort of, you know, put it out there on, you know, something like a SoundCloud. Right. So they sort of like sent it out to people, and they said, like, this is really good. Let's buzz about it. Let's buzz. Let's buzz. <laughs> and every time I hear buzz band and all that stuff, it makes me so grateful that I'm not going to South by Southwest this year. 
<laughs> because the only thing that buzz band means is that it's difficult to get in your show, so there's going to be a bunch of uncomfortable people at your show, <laughs> as opposed to no one. You have either uncomfortable people that are all looking at their phones, or no one. Or no one. And that might be, might, might be me just hyperbolizing. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so you tell me, in this process of... Uh, not only doing the podcast, but as a musician and as an, an artist and a songwriter in your own right, what has the last three or four years, five or six years shown to you is like not only where things are going, what's, what's valuable now, which maybe wasn't valuable before or continues mm-hmm. to resonate? Or Well, what's interesting to me, over the last six years, I've had that moment of, of going through like being an um, um, artist in my own self and putting the wrong paradigm on certain things. Right. And then realizing that I'm like, oh my gosh, these three or four specific uh, um, songwriting companies or uh, you know publishing companies don't like me. Well, right. I guess I got to write better. You know, I, I guess go, I'm not good. Yeah, I guess maybe. I'm not good. And I'm like, wait, hold on. You know, I know these guys personally. That just fucking means that they just don't fucking like me. Right. Does other, do other people like me? Why does everybody <laughs> say that my songs are good that know me? Oh, they're fucking liars. I get it. <laughs> That's it. They're trying. These to, people are assholes and liars. Yeah, they're like, the people that love me, and I'm actually like taking the time to listen to my music. They're 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 fucking deluding me. And the people that <laughs> but these even, three people who yeah. haven't listened to me at all <laughs> somehow know something. They smell it on me. Uh, and so I, I I guess you know I I I grew up well, at least I grew up in the formative years of like 18 to 21, 22. I had that moment of I was thoroughly deep into the emo. Um, culture of just you know literally like you 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 poured actual success right or like being able to like the only the only thing you were meant to do was to be a conduit of pain (laughs) you know what i mean you were literally like the exposed nerve in someone's molar right is is, that's what you were supposed to do musically you know the promise ring get up kids all that other stuff right and and to do something that would reach many people and have success was a cardinal sin because in all honesty you're pandering because you're successful not because you're pandering but because you're successful it's a weird, it's a weird you know what and this is where I I, I really wish I, so I remember Jagged Little Pill mm-hmm. and I remember Dookie yeah and I remember those were self-loathing against the machine mm-hmm. kind of records in the case of Dookie I'm going to masturbate and write a song about it <laughs> <laughs> let's we let's we forget. You know what? The, by the machine, I mean sex with another person. <laughs> <laughs> I shall rage against that machine. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that, that's a f- like, because I, I, I mean, I have friends, talented, great, wonderful people who just grew up on pop music, and I, and I really didn't like. I, I mean, there was pop music around, but I, there were moment, there were the the albums that mattered to me were albums that were contrarian. Mm-hmm. Like which ones were you talking about? Well, I mean, even those two records. But I, I remember being a big Sunny Day Real Estate fan. Mm-hmm. And I saw uh, them at, like the week that I got to college. No they, way. They, they happened to be there. Like they, they, It was right as soon as Foo Fighters, like uh, like Dave Grohl had, um, had fired right. the rhythm section from right. Sunny Day and so they were back together I think that oh, record. okay and yeah. and as that moment happened like I, in the crowd somebody said you know around near where Dan the guitarist player was somebody said like fuck the Foo Fighters and he was like fuck yeah yeah 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And I remember That's thinking, fantastic. and this is the kicker of the whole shebang. Day uh, uh, Pete Yorn yeah. opened up for them. No, opened up way. for what a Sunday. great show. It was a great show, but at the same time. Pete Yorn was playing and everybody's going like this sucks that's nah, true and I was the one person going like you guys are wrong this is really good no but you can like both I promise seriously there's how close to all of our CDs need to be to each other <laughs> I, I, I just have never the, the one thing that I have never connected to is the the mantra of like the more popular it gets yeah the, the less credible it is mm-hmm. it's it's the dumbest idea it's ever. dark shit i mean honestly it's atlas shrugged is what mm-hmm. it is like it is truly a, it is such an anti-capitalist and for all those listening capitalism is good for art mm-hmm. like it's such a confusing paradigm and i i honestly i get mentally how it exists but i think i was just fortunate enough to be around stuff that was maybe equally successful and then stuff that was unsuccessful and being like, mm. I like both of these. Mm. And their success doesn't change the fact of how much I like it. We have mm. a, So I'm in this this season of my life now where my wife and I are in the childbearing ages mm-hmm. and have other friends who are having kids. Mm. And, I, and I hear so many times like people saying, well, we wanted to name our son this, but then we found out that it was like the second most popular name in the country and then we didn't do it. It's like, <laughs> you realize straying from something that's popular is actually more gross than straying from something that's not popular. Mm-hmm. Like you obviously you hate things that are popular, but to be to stray from the second to least popular name is actually more normal than straying from the most popular name. And I don't mean normal in a bad way. I mean normal in like a good functional you're a human in society yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And I think that but but I know so I mean Amy from Evanescence is a perfect example of this. Like, if she is listening, she would agree with me. Like, there is, it's not a fair metric to put on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because, like, obviously you want people to hear your music. Mm -hmm. But then when you hit a certain number of people hearing your music, now that 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 makes it a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a strange metric that we put on ourselves, like you said. Like, let's look at it from a a wide sweeping, like, you know, whole verisimilitude aspect. Mm -hmm. If somebody says, like, listen, this is how you lose weight. And gain muscle mass. Right. And you go like, no. No, I don't bite. Everyone's losing weight and gaining muscle mass that way. I wanted to do it a different way. <laughs> you go like, there's a... We, we put art in this weird vector that we go like, no, we have to be counterintuitive. Yeah. You know, to have these few, like, golden years where, like, just a select few who are tastemakers like us. And mm. then, you know, like yeah. we can be the sex pistols of our generation. Right. Or the fill-in name of whatever it is. Right. You know, before anybody actually likes us. If... You know all these, all these uh, leviathans of culture, quote unquote, actually hit as big as you know, you know when the people that actually like them right. in the moment, it, it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. It that's completely true. I, <clears throat> not to devil's advocate, but to give to give, I think a sense of balance of like I, th- where at least for me where it does exist is one of my favorite albums, is OK Computer, mm-hmm. and I think that that most most musicians would say in the current setting that when Radiohead made that record it was ahead of its time in 98 99 it was like I was everybody thought it was garbage it really was ahead of its time and I didn't like it in 98 99 mm. like it took until I remember it was in 2000 eight years ago so it was in 2007 
that I really discovered OK Computer and I really fell in love with it. I mean, not to the sense of like every musician feels mm. an obligation to say they love Jack Buff Buckley Grace and they love OK mm. Computer. I really love OK Computer. Um, and there's value to the there's value to albums that are watershed. I think that the I think the Evanescence album was watershed mm -hmm. to a certain capacity. It was. It, 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 its success tips its hat to the fact that there weren't that many girls singing rock music at the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Nirvana, never mind. But it was in the same ilk of that, whatever that thing was. But as someone who was on the inside of it, to say, and I would love to hear others in that same space... I was. We weren't doing it to make OK Computer. Mm -hmm. Never mind. We weren't doing it to be to be innovative or to be creative. We were doing it to chase down the thing that we loved. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember at the time there was a handful of songs that we really we loved. The Perfect Circle record. We loved Bjork, Homogenic. We also loved Fuel. What was something like human mm -hmm. with hemorrhage and and bad day and those songs on it? We loved Our Lady Peace, that Gravity record. With, yeah, I mean, so there was a a wide array of music that we were listening to at the time. I remember we were listening to a lot of uh, what was it? Mechanical Animals, the Marilyn Manson record at the time. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of music that was influencing who we were, and and we also at the same time created something that I guess was unique too but its design was not to be unique and mm. i think people who are chasing what is unique get lost in themselves maybe a handful of guys mm. have done it well but for the most of for the rest of us mortals mm -hmm. just make the music you like yeah you really do and and in in trying to imitate the things that you actually like you'll create something that you actually that is yeah. actually unique because you can't itself. make okay computer the, mm. the design isn't to do that but mm. when you chase certain things down like mm -hmm. you'll just yeah. I I've spent the last couple of years working on a novel, and for anyone who wants to read it, you'll you'll never read it because I won't be successful at it and it'll fall <laughs> apart. I but I spoken like I, a true Irishman <laughs> exactly. But what I've learned in the process of that is, uh, the my job as a as a prose writer is to convey my ideas. And I find that when I'm not reading other literature, I have a hard time finding words. Hmm. And I get caught up, and I'll spend 20 minutes vacillating over one word that leads me to the to whatever the next line is. Because mm -hmm. I want to make sure that this, it does, this isn't the... It's close, but this isn't the right adjective that mm -hmm. I wanted to use here. And like... I know the words right on the tip of my tongue mm -hmm. and we have resources to find these things, but it's like, I can't find the exact word that I'm looking for. But when I'm in a regular rhythm of listening or of reading other books mm -hmm. and of being uh, of the, the English vocabulary, just l readily running through my veins. And then the process of writing prose, it's not like I'm thinking about Steinbeck and East mm -hmm. of Eden when I'm writing. It's that I have, a vocabulary mm -hmm. at my fingertips. Mm -hmm. And I think the same is true with music that that we're not I'm not trying to make homogenic again, mm -hmm. but I'm informed by this process, by the emotion that she conveys with this music that allows me to do these things. So I think we shouldn't be afraid of those influences along the way. No, you're thoroughly right. And I think that to to 
to surrender to the myth that we come from a vacuum. Sir Isaac Newton said about his work coming up with the, the you know, um, gravity and, and various other the different things, you know, like, what was it, the uh, 32 feet per second per second squared, right. all that stuff. He basically said that he was standing on the shoulder of giants. And yeah. in in doing that, you know, you you like like the fact that some weird girl from Iceland decided to move to England and make music with the yeah. sugar cubes. God bless her because yeah. she's informed so much of what we've actually, you know, so much that we don't even think that we've know, you know. And and to move beyond that, I'm interested in hearing. This is the first time I've ever heard of your novel. What's the the overall bent and the ethos of this, man? <laughs> it's uh, my novel is it's. It's a dystopian story about mm-hmm. the people uh, rising against the government. Okay. Um, it's is Ayn Randish. It's it's very Ayn Randish. It's exciting to me because I don't know the rules for young musicians out there. I will. The only cautionary tale I would give you is I'm not a teenager anymore. Mm-hmm. When I listen to music, I I critique it. Mm-hmm. And I can't turn that thing off in my uh-huh. brain. I will never hear Bush 16 Stone again. Mm. You're not going to go glycerine and go like, mm, I wonder what it's like to have sex. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And the funny thing is, when I listen to 16 Stone, it works mm-hmm. still. But when but when I listen to The Neighborhood, it doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I that that season of my life is gone. And part of it has to do with my age. And the other part of it has to do with that I work in the medium that I was inspired by. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I go see movies, I'm still an eight-year-old, and mm-hmm. I love it. Like, it's fantastic to me, and it's exciting. And I don't have any interest in learning about how to make a movie mm-hmm. because I don't want to lose that magic. Mm-hmm. And books are the same to me. Like, I'm just I get lost in them. And even as I'm writing a book, I'm I'm learning a little bit in the process. I think I've taken my own advice where I don't have a lot of interest in wanting to learn the craft of mm-hmm. writing a book. I just kind of want to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to provide my income for me. And it's not like driving that side of it. It's, it's something that I makes me feel like a teenager. again. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, to be a little bit name droppy cause this is fun every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I was in a writing session in Nashville and actually this is sage genius advice. I was in a writing session in Nashville about a year and a half ago at my buddy Chris Lindsay's house and we were sitting there writing a song and out of nowhere uh, Dan Huff and Keith Urban walk in the room <laughs> and it's like alright well, hi is, guys this is good company and and the beautiful part of it is Dan and Keith both were like oh hey guys I'm so sorry to interrupt your writing session and for me it's like I'm this silly mm. kid from Arkansas like you can do whatever you want yeah, man it's hi, cool man. yeah Go. Um, so they walk in the room and we're in the middle of writing the song and, uh, and we just chat a little bit cause Dan and, and Keith were talking about using Chris's space to, to record his next record. And, uh, Keith said something really funny that I, it just stuck with me mainly because Australian accents I'm a sucker for, mm-hmm. but he said, you know, I spent about a year and I couldn't write a song. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I, I said, I just have this writer's block. And my buddy said, no, writer's block doesn't exist. And he was like, what do you mean? And he said, it's not block. It's not, it's, it's not like the well is dry. He said, it's writer's constipation. You have too many ideas, and you just need to get them out. 
of your system. And I, and while that's a little crass, mind you, that's what that's what writing prose has completely done for me. Yeah. That it's like me exploring other mediums of of music has or of other mediums has allowed my music to be it so naturally flows from that space. Mm-hmm. I think I say the same thing to a lot of artists that I write with. Maybe not all artists, but most of them I push them to write with other people not for themselves. Mm-hmm. Not because they'll ever make any money at it. And I and I say to most of them it's like don't do this to make a living cuz mm-hmm. you probably won't be able to do it. But you do it because every time I write a song, as an artist, every time I write a song that's not for me, mm-hmm. I learn more about what is for me. Yeah, because it's a process of elimination. Yeah, right? I mean, kind of like, kind of like that song that you and Steve wrote the other day. It's like yeah. I wouldn't have known what I am or what I'm going to be or what would make sense for me mm-hmm. until I write this thing, and it's like this was a lot farther than I thought would make sense, mm-hmm. but this totally makes sense. You yeah, know? and yeah. I. So I think there's something creatively, and then if you switch mediums, if you jump way off the rails mm-hmm. and you don't even write something with a melody to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, so we have, in, in commercial music, there's a three and a half minute window that you shoot for, mm-hmm. and there's a diatonic scale for the most part that you're building off mm-hmm. of, and you got to repeat one refrain of it at least twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. It's a really rigid construct for storytelling. Yeah. And then you take those rails off, and it's like, yeah, talk for yeah, a hundred to three hundred thousand words. Yeah, wax lyrical about like what what it was like in the you know internment camp of this dystopian world that you're building up. Yeah, I, and if it's not reality, make your own reality. Mm-hmm. Just go build. Yeah, guess what? He doesn't even have to be on Earth. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me. It's a. Uh, you got any thoughts to shop it? Uh, yeah, eventually. I mean, the the exciting part to me is that I have literally no expectations for it. Mm-hmm. I don't, because it hasn't made me a dollar, I don't think it'll ever make me a dollar. Mm-hmm. And with my only expectation, and this is, actually, this is a high bar, but I only want it to be great in my estimation. Listen, there's I don't even care if it's yeah. great in anyone else's estimation. If it mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. that's all that is, is just gravy. Mm-hmm. And, that's pretty great. Like that's, that's kind of fun. Listen, dude, there's a bunch of great art that never made a dime. You know, Van Gogh only sold one painting so to his brother. <laughs> to, to his, his bro- brother Theo. <laughs> it was Theo was just trying to help. I him mean, out. he was fishing a barrel. In, in honesty, I man, mean, Vinny, you just cut your ear off. Let yeah. me buy a painting. Hey, listen. Hey, hey, I'm going to buy a painting of you. Oh, sorry, wrong. Turn side. around. Turn around. <laughs> yeah, dude. This and the is- funny thing is, like. You you bring up Van Gogh, this is the real paradigm of it to me. Is like it really doesn't have to be great. Mm-hmm. That's and and only I mean having children has helped me in this process. So I watch a lot of the animated movies and mm-hmm. stuff now. And actually, some of them are fantastic, and some of them are quite horrible. Mm-hmm. Like and the the sad thing is, is I really hope that my children will be like. Daddy, that movie was not good. <laughs> they love all of them. They're idiots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they mean well. Sponges. Yeah, exactly. You they sponges. just they just take it all in. But to me, writing a book, it it really is mine. Mm-hmm. Like it really is exactly what mine is, and it doesn't cheap. I would have I would have assumed that it would have cheapened the fact of the other thing. So I wrote with this this electronic band today, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the fact that 
like maybe it's not the genre of music that I'm usually working or like a specific worldview that I usually love or this or that or whatever else. Like, well, that kind of cheapens your art, right? Yeah. It's not my art. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you were the last story hour, but I said my, f- uh, my favorite song that I've ever written is a thousand years mm-hmm. primarily because it puts food on my table. Yeah. Hmm. That's really valuable to put it in a meritocracy. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, you, you like to, to say like, no, this is the most fulfilling, like, Fuck off, man. I've got people that need food in their faces to yeah. feed their brains and their bodies. Yeah. And you know what? Me providing for my children mm-hmm. is so much more virtuous. For me to make a song that really resonates with people and makes no money doesn't like there is there is true deep eternal virtue in me providing mm-hmm. for those who need my provision. Sustaining life with an idea—that's amazing. And that's—and that's a—that is an argument that I—I I feel like I fight against artistically, even beyond the sense of like once it's successful, it's it's not cool anymore. Even mm-hmm. beyond that, successful by its very nature, it isn't necessarily cool. But I love it. Mm-hmm. I love. I love that I get to do my job and that I get to provide for my family for it. And if I get to make art that I really believe in and love, then that's a bonus. If I get to make art that really resonates with people beyond mm-hmm. that and informs their creative decisions in life, that's just mm-hmm. gravy. But like the the meat and potatoes of it is like, I get to make music for a living. Yeah. Yeah. You get to sit in front of the piano and like plunk stuff out. And I'm go in. Like, yeah. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, that's a, that's a winner. And that's a great place to be in, especially because there's this bastion of cool, which is just like cotton candy. It you is. Know, it's 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 big and it's puffy and it's colorful and it's and to the young it seems like everything. It seems like everything. Uh-huh. It completely does. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I and I think as we we all were obsessed with it for mm-hmm. a season. Mm-hmm. And the converse, it's not like once you decide that cool isn't important that you become cool. Because mm-hmm. let's not kid ourselves. I'm not cool. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't matter anymore. Like. There is something really beautiful on the other side of it. Uh, a thousand years is an incredibly uncool song. Mm. Can man, I, I can I put it. a wrench in the the whole thing? What do you got? Uh, by saying that, yeah, you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> is it because I have tattoos? That's probably it. Yes! Yeah, I've got no, I've got no guts for the tattoos. But you got you got so many guts, so many guts, and so many tattoos. So many guts. That's well, dude, totally I want to re- I want to really thank you for coming in, in well for coming in for having me over. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Very nice. So, what do you think about that business, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? That was a great conversation. Afterwards, we went out on his porch. We talked for an even longer amount of time. Didn't get a lot of sleep that night, but I definitely, definitely went home with a head full of hope, promise, that other people get it. That, hell, you know, we were talking about this not being a meritocracy. You do it because you love it, because it is within the fibers of yourself. And that, uh, yeah, there really is no rhyme or reason to the whole idea behind success, but the paradigm needs to be from within yourself. And that if you write every day, If you work every day, whether you're a sculptor, whether you are a novelist, or a guy that rhymes things for a living, 
We used to have poet laureates that did that, but now uh, I think we call them songwriters. If you do that for a living, if you get your butt in the chair every single day, you've got that much greater amount of success of finding that which you're chasing. Don't fix to begin to commence to start, man. Hey, you may sound like I'm chastising you, but I'm actually talking to myself. Thank you guys so much for sharing this show around, for tweeting about it, for posting it on Facebook. Do the social media thing with this show. We need all the love that we can get. Want to spread the word around. As always, you can go to sharkbrainpodcast.com to hear any and all of our episodes, including the first of the David Hodges. In case you're listening to these out of order, you might be a weirdo that way. Hey, I'm not one to judge. But everything is up there, sharkbrainpodcast.com. Go to jakenewton.com where you can get my CDs, T-shirts, fun stuff like that. Check out tour dates that I've got. I've got one coming up. I'm getting ready to announce, but I'm announcing to you guys first before the impending hordes of people are knocking down my door for tickets, right? Look at it. I'm faking it till I make it. Anyway, thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule, listening to me and the guests that I have Yammer on about life and all that. It's it, it's very heartwarming and it uh, it's overjoying to to see that people are actually uh, taking the time. So thank you for that. I, I really have nothing else to say beyond that. I'm just um, so thrilled with uh, with this podcast and, and the joy that I, I get from actually doing it. So yeah, there are no words, which uh, normally is kind of a good, quiet moment, but this is radio, so it doesn't really work that way. Dead air, man. Can't have that, bro. So do the thing that you were put on this earth to do. Sit your butt down in the chair. Even though you don't feel like it's going to be good, you don't think it's going to be the thing. Hell, if it's a crap song, it's one crap song out of the coffer of your mind clears the proverbial tubes for the good thing that's coming, right? Love your friends and be well.